Uh-oh, I'm recording. Sorry. Fucking, yeah. All right. No, that's fine. All right. I think there's a helicopter going overhead right now. So just give me a second. Uh, that's just the nukes going off. That's <laughs> just the nukes. Any state that didn't vote for Trump, he's, he's just nuking. <laughs> we got to nuke these Democrat cities, these Democrat-run states. We're going to prevent we these riots. We're going to provide relief, all right. Relief from your motherfucking lives. Fire the nukes. He's the guy with the eye patch from Dawn of the Dead original. Oh, my we God. We're going to nuke him. We're going to nuke them all. We got a new cabal. They will run out of food. All the poor people. Lots of people have been telling me they're the best nukes. All right. All right. I, think how, we're I hope go. that goes in the outtakes. I might just do it at the beginning of the episode. Oh, I love right. you do that. <laughs> Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Smokes Fat Bowls, and in my second seat today is my co-host, Ty. Yes, Ty, without any kind of AKAs. What's up? Hey, no problem. I think I think we're just used to you being Ty. And yeah, that's, yeah. And Every that's once in a while, I come out with a banger, so just be ready. And that's what <laughs> makes your AKAs more special, I feel. You know, like, I'll have a bunch of okay ones, but the few you have are, like, fucking awesome. That's it. Go big or go home. You know? know? Never forget Roar Snack. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And while we're at it, never forget to listen to us and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Five-star reviews go a very long way in getting us up in the algorithm and the search uh, results. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, please make sure to like and subscribe to our channel. Now, today we are going to start our month-long native-centric media reviews with the movie Smoke Signals from 1998. Ty, how do you feel about this? It was a very 90s movie, um, and I really enjoyed it. So did I. So did I. I and I was, like I said, it was. It had been a long time since something had actually made me feel good after watching it. So They don't so make movies was... like this anymore, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like It's definitely like one of those... Those films is just like a fun adventure with some some dramatic moments and it, it yeah like it just makes you feel good. Have you ever seen Wild America with Jonathan Taylor Thomas and other white people? <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, it's actually it's based off a true story about these kids who wanted to go cross country and film wildlife and stuff, and uh, and in doing so, they ended up starting their careers as wildlife documentarians okay and they made this movie about their life story and it's another 90s movie it's one of my wife's favorites and it's corny and ridiculous <laughs> and and the effects definitely don't hold up but you know it's it is one of those those 90s feel-good movies right. and this was very much the same thing actually you know what let me see which came out first uh, I don't want to say it was the same thing. It was very similar, right? In, right. Uh, you know, in tone, I can say that. What, what I'm curious about is like, did a lot of white people not just just not see this movie, Smoke Signals? Because I'd never seen it before. Uh, you hadn't seen it before. I asked nope. like a bunch of my family members, some other people, um, and my girlfriend, you know, who is Hispanic, is you know has indigenous blood. She she was like. It came out in '98. Like everyone's seen it, you know. And uh, sadly, that was not the case when I, I pulled people. No, I, I, I don't think the majority of people have seen this film. And I mean, you know, for for as white as you are, you know, you're still like into film. Oh shit, Devin Sawa was also in Wild America. Oh, so Wild Devin America uh, came out in '97. For those of you who aren't aware, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, also known as Tim the Toolman Taylor's kid, the best in kid, Home Improvement, and uh, and also he was Simba as a child. In he was the Simba. Lion King, and uh, Devin Sawa was Final Destination, and Casper, and Idle Hands. The nineties were a very good time. For <laughs> yeah, me. Idle Hands. Is your ear ringing a little bit? Do you hear that? Yeah, I do. I do. What is that? You hear? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked. Hi, it's actually the spoiler alert. It is it is coming in hard and fast. That's what she said. And this spoiler alert is letting you know that if you have not seen the movie Smoke Signals uh, from 1998, when you're after Wild America, please make sure that you <laughs> watch Smoke <laughs> Signals before we spoil the shit out of this yes, movie. Yes. Um, 
But yeah, but I, I, I think we're ready to, to, to get into it. Now, you suggested this movie, uh, I believe, at the behest of your girlfriend, who yes. is much more cultured than either of us put together. <laughs> yes. And, um, and dude, you know, I listen to a lot of movie review podcasts, and it is, it's weird to, to have people approach like some of the films that I love just as generic fan, you know, generic watchers. Like they're not fans of it. They just go in and look at it, you know, because they have to do it for the podcast. They do it for business. And that's very much what this one was. Right. You know, I I wasn't like super excited to watch it or anything, but, you know, I told you earlier yesterday, man, I really miss the 90s. And I don't remember exactly (laughs) what I miss about it, but I watched this movie and it just felt so good to watch. And it was emotional. It was a roller coaster. It was a great coming of age story. And, um, and it turns out it's based on the book, The Lone Ranger and Tonto Fight in Heaven. Yes. And, um, before we. By Sherman Alexi? Alexi? Probably Alexi. Uh, now he did not, did he do any writing on the film or no? He did. He, uh, he actually wrote the screenplay as well. Oh, so he, he adapted his own work into screenplay. Yeah. I mean, the reason my girlfriend suggested this film, because it's the first film to ever be written, directed, and co-produced by Native Americans. So you got a big, big, big thing there. Plus a lot of Native American actors as well. So it's, uh, pretty unique in that aspect. Speaking of its uniqueness, since we've already given the spoiler warning, Ty, why don't you give us the plot? Smoke signals. Young Native American man Thomas is a nerd in his reservation, wearing oversized glasses and telling everyone stories no one wants to hear. His parents died in a fire in 1976, and Thomas was saved by Arnold. Arnold soon left his family and his tough son Victor, and Victor hasn't seen his father for 10 years. When Victor hears Arnold has died, Thomas offers him funding for the trip to get Arnold's remains, but only if Thomas can also go with him. Thomas and Victor hit the road. So I want to get it out of the way. Do you think Thomas is on the spectrum or no? Um, I don't think so. I think he's just, uh, I mean, he grew up without his parents, you know, he's, he's intelligent. Um, I, I think he's a little, yeah, he, he definitely doesn't know how to like interact with people for sure. But I don't know if it's, it's autism. I just think he, you know, there's a lot of factors that have gone into that. I mean, you know, he doesn't quite fit in with other natives either. And that's the bulk of people he interacts with. Uh, from what you were describing his upbringing as, I quickly started thinking of what a Native American Spider-Man uh, would look like. Because, <laughs> Dude, you know, he could he be him. Up, yeah, exactly. You know, he didn't grow up with his parents. You know, he's kind of a nerdy kid. He keeps to himself. He doesn't interact well with other people. He's a little socially awkward. <clears throat> but he became uh, best day, friends with Flash Thompson. There, <laughs> there you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's just... Uh, my my experience that like I always try and diagnose everyone as soon as I see them. Now, obviously, I'm not a I'm not a doctor, but right. I, I have worked with the the neuroatypical population since I was what 14 years old now. Yeah. So so we're going on at least uh, you know 16, 17 years. You know, in one way or another, either working uh, personally or professionally with uh, with the population. But that yeah, that was the first place my mind went to. And they don't say anything about that in the movie. And I think it's probably better off for it. I mean, it's a comedy. Um, so I think he's supposed yeah. to be, you know, funny and goofy and really silly, especially when compared to Victor, who's very, like, tough and does smile a lot, but is kind of tough. You get any Rain Man vibes? Uh, maybe a little bit. I feel you. I feel you on that. That being said, I haven't... See, see Rain Man. I, I've <laughs> see seen bits Rain and pieces, Man. as someone once said to me. Uh, but yeah, they they these characters are such great juxtapositions to each other. Thomas is is uh, the the socially awkward nerd whose parents died in a fire when he was a baby, and he was uh, luckily saved by Arnold Joseph, who was another another indigenous person on the yeah. uh, Coeur d'Alene Reservation in Plummer, Idaho, and uh, who's Arnold's father. own. Yes, Arnold's own kid, Victor, is about the same age as uh, as as Thomas. So they they grew up together, and it was interesting to see the interactions they both had with Victor's father, yeah. Arnold, because they both have very different memories of him. The plot, like you said, kicks off when uh, Victor gets news that his father has passed away, but he hasn't seen his father since he was a child, and. It's it's kind kind of puts him in a very in a very weird spot, and what makes it weirder is Thomas saying, "I'll go on this journey with you. I'll go I'll go on this on this trip, on this you know kind of like a buddy cop adventure, except without the cop part." And <laughs> um, 
and it's it, it was really effective to to hear the different perspectives they both had on the same man growing up. Yeah, and, and you know the the relationship between Victor and Thomas is interesting because Thomas always seems to kind of want to be Victor's friend. Like he's always kind of like you know, hey Victor, and like chasing after him. Even when they're kids, hey, Victor, they show this, hey, right? Victor. Yeah, like he's always like <laughs> trying to like interact, and Victor just wants like nothing to do with him. He's always making fun of him. You know, he even at one point uh, actually punches them in the face when they're kids. Like, they have a lot of really tough interactions. I think uh, Thomas's grandmother even says, like, he's always mean to you, you know, but for some reason Thomas wants to be his friend. And I, I, I'm not sure if that was because of his relationship with Victor's father or if he just sees the good in people, uh, you know. But, but uh, yeah, Thomas is just, like, this really, like, likable, like, goofy kind of nerdy guy, you know, and, and, and Victor obviously has a lot of resentment for his father. And, you know, uh, even though he grew up, you know, around his parents, he didn't have an easy childhood either. And they both have different, uh, difficulties, you know, that they grew up with. Yeah. And that brings me to the first thing I wanted to talk about in this episode. Uh, because we, we find out that Arnold, can I spoil the, the big twist at the ending? Listen, there was a spoiler alert that went by, so I think you're good. The spoiler alert did hit. I'm clear. I'm clear. Uh, but toward the end of the film, we actually find out that Arnold Joseph, the one who saved Thomas from the fire that killed his parents, he was actually responsible for the fire that killed Thomas's parents. Yeah. Uh, they were, for some reason, celebrating uh, Independence Day, 4th of July. Um, oh, it's such, and it's such a funny thing. They're like, his father held the largest party ever in the tribe's history to celebrate the white people's independence on Independence Day 1976. I love how yeah, they like, purposely we, said that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like, I mean, part of, you know, I'm surprised they didn't bring up anything like, oh, well, our ancestors fucking killed you guys because you held the, you know, the largest party well, for Thomas the says Independence Day. a fire rose up like General Custer and ate up his mother and father. You know, I like they they make very specific uh, references to to history and and you know to the the genocide of natives throughout the film. That, but they're done in like you know off kilter like funny ways, but they're there. You know, if you're paying attention. Yeah, I think that's the benefit of seeing a modern representation of indigenous peoples yeah. because when we get to our Yellowstone episode at some point this month, we'll talk a bit about how one of those actors in an article in an interview actually said that. You don't see that often. And it's, it's you know, it's true, at least in the mainstream. Like, whenever we see depictions of Native peoples in, in popular media, it's normally from, you know, from the, the Wild West days and stuff. And before they started dressing like the Europeans and becoming more assimilated to them as they continued to push them off their lands and kill and, and, uh, and rape them and everything and enslave them. Uh, but, you know, seeing a more modern representation... It goes back to what we've always talked about, about how if you're a certain type of person, race is a part of your story regardless. And, you know, they, they like you said, they don't ham fist it in. They don't go like, oh, well, here's exactly what happened, blah, 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 you know, in, you know, with General Custer's last stand. But, you know, but they bring it up, you know, in kind of tongue in cheek ways like this is definitely a part of their culture. They don't dwell on it. They live with what they have. But it is it is a part of who they are. They, they definitely don't forget their history. Yeah. And, you know, and, and as you mentioned, Arnold is the one who's, who sets the fire, uh, killing Thomas, the parent. And there was a great moment here where they kind of almost give you that, that answer, uh, because I think Arnold's grandmother mentions how, you know, he saved Thomas and he did a good thing. And he says, I didn't mean to. And he starts crying. And, and oh. that caught me as being so strange. I'm like, what does he mean? He didn't mean to do a good thing. You know what I mean? And then later on you find out, you know, he didn't. He didn't mean to set the fire. He didn't mean to have to leave the tr the the tribe. You know, he he didn't mean to do a lot of things that wound up happening uh, throughout his life and the in the life of of these two kids. Uh, and, and obviously, he had regrets immediately. Um, and and you know, it, it's something that weighs on this whole family, whether they know the answer or not. Arnold is an alcoholic. His wife was also an alcoholic uh, until she decided to get her shit together after she saw how it was affecting their their son Victor. Um I, actually I want to touch really quick on uh how you know for some reason uh 
you know, it seems like Victor's always mean to Thomas. Honestly, it's whenever people aren't around that Thomas just starts talking shit about Victor's family. That is like, true, though. He, <laughs> he doesn't do it on purpose. He just is like, oh, like, this is a fun thing to talk about. Yeah, he's but, like, your daddy left you. He's never coming yeah. back. Your, your dad's dad an alcoholic. Probably not coming back. Everyone says your dad fucking sucks. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Heard your mom sleeping around, Victor. Yeah, like, like he what the fuck, man. He's a, and then like he beats the shit out of him. He's like he's like the Rick James to to Victor's Charlie yeah. Murphy. Like and everyone's always, like Victor, what the fuck, man? What are you doing yeah. that to him? He's always crossing the line. He's a habitual line step for this guy. Uh, um, I did note that Arnold should get an NFL contract or something with the fast hands he had. The way he <laughs> saves this baby is they throw Thomas out of the house, out of the burning house, a two story window. He, Dives and catches this baby. Yeah, he could have. He could have been in the NFL. But yeah, so alcoholism is actually a huge issue in Native communities. You'll see in the show notes and sources. We have a few, a uh, few articles, and um, actually, these are all uh, YouTube videos. Uh, you know, different interviews and documentary pieces. Uh, one is by Vice uh, about prohibition in Canada and whether or not it's working. And the other is a Guardian piece on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Now, the reason I bring up Canada is because uh, we often forget about Canada's treatment of its indigenous peoples because we focus on how fucked up our own was. But we're still part of the same continent. They're still North America. And, uh, you know, and their treatment really hasn't been different. And there actually was a prohibition clause put into effect that the um, that alcohol was not allowed in indigenous communities in uh i believe it was saskatchewan uh where harold johnson's from he's the individual who speaks on it and he actually was inspired to write a book called firewater and this is after he went on a spirit quest and he had a vision that he had to do something so firewater is kind of his uh his memoir to the the negative effects that alcohol has had on the native community while it focused specific well the interview focuses specifically on on uh, Canada, in which he, you know, he also mentions that there was a case where a native man was actually drunk off the reservation. And he was going to be tried for it. The Canadian Supreme Court threw out the charges, and without talking to the tribe, ended the prohibition. Really? And yeah, yeah. So they ended the prohibition without even talking. And this wasn't like the like. 1800s or like this was like this is like the 1960s or 70s wow uh prohibition yeah had been in place had been in place for a while and from what i gather there's been kind of a tug of war going back and forth uh between it check out the sources for a more in-depth look uh but just historically alcohol has been used to weaken indigenous communities not too different from how the cia used crack to weaken uh black and urban and brown communities uh but right you know it, it it is kind of an interesting thing because the way harold johnson talks about it he he says, like, if it's there, we're going to drink it. And I mean, it was it was really rough to watch that interview because as an adult, you just you consider yourself to be like, well, if I don't want to drink alcohol, I won't drink it. If people do want to drink alcohol, then they will drink it. Like, it's not like these natives are children. It's not like they, you know, they can't make their own decisions. But also, I think that, you know, there is a history in which native communities all over have been made to be dependent on the governments who have historically marginalized them right and then becoming dependent on them having so many resources taken away and 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 having some handouts uh given to kind of keep them afloat uh you know they're put in situations where alcohol is kind of like the only medication they have and uh speaking of medication it was funny because harold johnson said that if it were marijuana in the community he was like fine he was like, smoke, you know, smoke your dope, stay at home watching cartoons and eating the munchies and eating munchies. Uh, you know, don't <laughs> go get in a car and, and kill someone. Uh, he talks about how 50 percent of the cases he worked on as a as a crown prosecutor involved alcohol in some way, shape or form, whether it was fetal alcohol syndrome or uh, or drunk driving or domestic abuse or child abuse uh, or suicide like you know, it, it really is heartbreaking. Now they don't they don't approach it much in this movie, which which I, I once again I like that they don't make the whole movie about alcoholism. But it is there. It's very much a part of Victor's life. And you do find out later that Victor, because of the way he grew up with his parents, has never had a drink in his life. Yeah, he he wants nothing to do with it. I mean, his father is clearly seen driving around drunk, drinking in the truck 
driving with his son, right? Um, they, they, you know, Thomas and and uh, and Victor later encounter these two girls, Velma and Lucy, driving around. And at first, Lucy's like, uh, "Give me a drink," as she's driving backwards through the reservation, right? And and Velma's like, "Oh, we don't drink anymore." So like at one point, they were drinking and driving too. So it's clearly like something that. It happens pretty often. It's not heavily policed. Um, oh, is that the girls with the Coca-Cola bottle in the car? Yes. Okay, yes. I, you know, I completely missed that part, so thanks for bringing it up again. Absolutely. Uh, I do. Uh, I also like how they were driving. So the way that these two characters, Velma and Lucy, and they're, they're, they're very much tertiary characters in the story, uh, but they help kind of start the journey for Victor and Thomas. You see them, and they're driving backwards. And at first I thought that this effect was just so it looked like they were driving forwards and able to look back at the camera. Like I thought it was kind of like something they, you know, in uh, Talladega nights, they actually, they made a car look like it was forwards, but it uh, looked like it was driving backwards, but it was actually driving forwards. I thought that's what they were. Oh, okay. Well, I thought that's what they were doing. Something like that. But it turns out that the, the actor who played Lucy Elaine miles, she actually learned how to drive backwards. Yeah, they didn't role. have to use a stunt person. Like she, <laughs> she just did it. How wild is that? <laughs> Which <laughs> that is was, pretty cool. That's so cool. It, it, it really is. I, I like that a lot. Um, oh, can I talk about nobody real quick too? Yeah. Yeah. So there is a moment in which, uh, you know, there's a flashback of a you know wild rager that they're throwing over at uh, over at uh, the Joseph household. And uh, Victor's father asks him who his favorite Indian is, and Victor replies, nobody, which, you know, gets his father very upset. We do see a couple in a couple uh, other scenes. He, you know, he hits his wife. He hits his son. He's abusive, uh, which is why he finally decides to to leave. Right. Uh, But it turns out that nobody is actually a role that was played by uh, Gary Farmer, in, the actor who plays yeah, Arnold Joseph. And Dead Man. Yeah, and, with Johnny and the Depp, movie right? Dead Man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, get the, I, that, that's, that's pretty cool. I like I like little things like that. Um, there's also another uh, <laughs> another moment where uh, where Victor finally gets the the call about his father passing away, and that he has to. You know, there was something about him signing papers. I guess he had to, you know, confirm that he was the next of kin and then take his belongings. And his mom says, you know how Indians feel about signing papers. Once again, just a a quick little nod to to all the bullshit that, you know, that happened in the U.S., Uh, not just under Andrew Jackson, but he's the one who comes to mind. You know, there was also uh, Abraham Lincoln and countless others who have, you know, told natives like, hey, fight for us and we'll give you this land and then push them off the land later. And, you know, constantly manipulating them into into signing contracts and agreeing to things that that are that end up getting broken later on. Like it cannot be understated how uh, how abused and marginalized the native community has been throughout all of United States history. And um you know, there's also there's also world history. I don't know enough about the indigenous peoples of other. I mean, I, you know, I know about my my Dominican ancestors, the Taínos uh, that met Christopher Columbus back in back in the 1400s. Hey. But that's a, that's a listen to the outtakes of uh, of the election episode if you want to hear all about uh, <laughs> Columbus takedown, baby. Oh yeah, um, um, yeah. Those, but it, again, this this is done like in a you know comedical way, but it's still dropping you know actual. Uh, you know, little little nods to history and 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 the crimes that have com- you know committed against Native Americans, which you know I thought was great. Um, and, and I also kind of want to just mention that there, there seems like to me almost like this um, this oppressive or depressing feel to to this reservation, right? Like it feels like nobody like knows what to do. Like they're all bored. That's why they're drinking and uh, driving backwards. There's a guy who like hasn't has a traffic van. That's been broken down since 1972, and he he uh, he talks about the traffic on the radio every morning, and there's never any traffic, right? And it's funny, it's a funny thing, but it just kind of shows like nothing really happens in the reservation, right? Like there's just nothing exciting going on. There's no changes. It's just you know the same thing almost every day for these people. And they make it a point to to show that nothing that nothing happens. They I think it was also a conscious effort to kind of keep the tone of the movie light to show that right. nothing whether nothing happens good or bad. Uh we will talk about later in this month and I don't even remember what we're reviewing <laughs> next week, <laughs> the week after that. I know it comes up in the Yellowstone a little bit, but there's lots of bad stuff 
that happens on uh, Native reservations. Yeah, I and, think we're gonna uh, get a little like, heavier, uh, you know, later yeah. in the month. But this was a nice, yeah. lighthearted version yeah. of, of these yeah. things. Yeah. So, so I won't, I won't spoil those things. But I will say that with, um, that with individuals who have been given, su- have been given such limited resources, in in so many different ways. You know, it's not much different from how in our own urban communities, individuals who are who are socioeconomically disadvantaged turn to crime, drugs, what have you. The, you know, the the Indian reservations aren't aren't very different. As a matter of fact, I'll I'll bring it back to Harold Johnson, uh, who was talking about the the Canadian prohibition problem. He says that when a white man's problem reaches indigenous communities. The problems are magnified. So whatever our our uh, problems are with alcoholism, it's way worse in indigenous communities. It's it it's you know I, I couldn't even imagine it. You know you think of you and I on Long Island with the opioid epidemic and everything right. like it uh it is it, it's it's rough. Do you think they're like hobbits by any chance or no? <laughs> I mean, they're they're going on a journey. They've never been this far away from home before. <laughs> yeah, you have two hobbits who are going on a journey. Meanwhile, everybody on the reservation kind of like lives their own little humble lives. They're not really looking for you know for anything, uh, you know, for anything uh, m- more extravagant or fantastic. They just kind of uh, live there. Now, I think. Let me ask you real quick. Do you know whether or not they have to pay for that land, or that's just their land? Like, is that why? Thomas and I, I uh, this is my fault. This is my ignorance for not knowing enough on the spot. But because uh, Thomas does say, "What do you need a job for on the res anyway?" I I think like it's legally their land until the United States says we're taking it back. <laughs> so uh, which yeah, yeah, happens of course, all of the course, fucking time. Know. But I think it, it is technically their land. Um, that's why there's no. Uh, I don't like. There's definitely different laws. Like, you know, that's why people go and buy cigarettes on a reservation, right? Because, like, the, the taxes are different Tax-free, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? So um, I don't know if they pay anything. Maybe they, you know, I don't know if there's, like, different councils of Native Americans that, you know, run different things and stuff like that. But I, I don't think they, they have to pay, you know, the government for their land. Well, take a look at the Coeur d'Alene website uh, when you get the chance, listeners. It's in our show notes and... Uh, you know, it has a whole history of the Coeur d'Alene, uh, reservation and community and everything. And, uh, and you know, maybe you'll, maybe you'll find, uh, find some answers. It does look like they pay there. for taxes though. So I don't, I don't know if they have to pay taxes okay. on the land. So, okay. Uh, what, anything else you wanted to talk about before I get to my next point? Um, no, I was just going to say, you know, if we're going with the Hobbit, uh, reference, I feel like instead of the <laughs> one ring, uh, it's Victor's father's ashes. That would be the, the thing they have to transport back. Exactly, and uh, and you know the the different the different trials and tribulations they have to they have to overcome on their way. Yeah. Uh, I do like the the interactions they have on the bus in which, uh, you know, Thomas is being very nice to this so called gymnast and you know just making Olympic conversation gymnast. with her. This so called Olympic gymnast, and then Victor calls her out on her bullshit, and she ends up switching to a different seat and and you know he tells thomas that you can't just be nice to everybody that you kind of you know in order to be quote unquote a real indian you have to be hard you have to be stoic you you know people are awful they'll they'll rob you blind if you if you're not watching like that's you know that's that's what he says now what i thought was really was really interesting about that is that he tells thomas he doesn't know how to be a proper indian and I'm not sure anybody really does at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like because Thomas's whole experience growing up, you know, growing up without his parents, he had his grandmother, but he has been indoctrinated by by the white man's media. He's watched Dances with Wolves, Last of the Mohicans, um you know he uh he you know he watches the cowboy movies and he says the cowboys always win. Like I think his his idea of of what a Native American is and what he tries to emulate comes from the media of the people who have technically erased the history. I wonder yep. how much of that actually happens in real life. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that they, they try to preserve their culture, but a lot of it has been destroyed, right? You know, um, uh, just a little divergence here. A, a couple of years back when I was in Massachusetts, I went to um, like uh, Plymouth and they have this like area where they've recreated like a pioneer village and they also have like a native village and they have um, actual natives there showing you things about their culture and like how to make stuff. 
Um, and they were showing us that there's a certain type of boat that, that that particular tribe made, and they don't know how to make it anymore. Um, it's been lost to history. They can't find. Holy they shit. can't find the information on it. They have tried recreating it. They get close. They have some other boats that they can make, but they can never make this specific type of boat that they know their tribe made. And I just thought that was so so sad, you know, that that there's no way to recover that. There's nowhere to find that information. Uh, and I'm sure that happens all the time. There's so many things about their culture that have been lost and and erased by you know by Europeans and by uh, by you know our country uh, that have just taken that from them forever. And let's talk real quick about certain traditions that are upheld because Thomas's entire. Uh, kind of, can I say id? Is that proper? Uh, his, I don't know if I'm using it correctly, but his his character is very much based off the oral tradition, that he right. is the one who is constantly telling stories. And while a lot of people love those stories, whether or not they be true or a little embellished, uh, Victor is the one who doesn't really like them because... And I felt this a little bit because I'm terrible at remaining quiet around people. I always have to be talking about something. And it seems that Thomas is the same way. And when he does end up talking too much, he kind of puts his foot in his mouth. Like I, I have many a time. Uh, but he, you know, he is is very intent on telling all these great stories about Arnold Joseph. Yeah, he says that Arnold Joseph was uh, was protesting Vietnam in full native garb yeah. and, <laughs> and, and knocked out uh, a national guardsman who was, in, who was getting in his face and attempted to disappear subdue him and uh and you know he ended up getting two years in jail for that and he tells the story of how you know he uh, thomas when he was a kid he used to walk all the way to spokane alone and watch the river watch the water for hours and at one point arnold joseph is there he's like what the hell are you doing here and uh and and you know arnold joseph actually took him to denny's and you know he has so many heartwarming stories and uh and the the most heartwarming story i th- i think comes from Susie Song's character. Susie Song is the woman who was at least looking after Arnold Joseph toward the end of his life. Did they have a romantic thing do you think? Um no, Victor asked her at one point, "Did you love my father?" And she says, "Yeah, like in a way, he was like a father to me." And i think it's this this pattern of of Arnold being a father to everyone but Victor, right? Being a father to to Thomas, being a father to Susie, um, and, and it, it helps build that kind of resentment that Victor has because he's like, why couldn't he be a father for me? Uh, and so I don't I don't think it was romantic at all. I think they were just companions to each other in a in a lonely place. Probably would have been better if he was banging Susie Song because <laughs> then then at least he'd have been like, all right, cool. He left you know he left me and my family to to have sex with a younger girl, you know younger woman yeah. all the time. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's worse. He went to go father somebody else, and he sobered up, too. He, he swore off the booze. He sobered up. He became a better man, but couldn't bring that better man back to back to his own family. Susie Song is played by Irene uh, Bedard, or Bedard. I'm going to say Bedard. And uh, this is what I told you. I said, I could call her Pocahontas the whole podcast, and it won't be racist, because she actually plays Pocahontas, which I thought was so cool. Yeah. Uh, Multiple she, times, she actually- too. Yeah, yeah, she's she's the voice actor for Pocahontas in the first one. I think the sequel in Wreck It Ralph. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good for her. Whenever Pocahontas needs to return to screen, hopefully she'll be the voice. Uh, you know, hopefully she'll have a job. I think they should do like Pocahontas: The Reckoning, like where she comes back into the future. Like she comes to the future. No, no, she's unfrozen in the future, right? Right. Okay. And and she's like, oh vengeance like i mean they would have to redo the original story because the original one's very lovey-dovey oh well that's that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine you know what it turns out that that she was um okay she was frozen in some terrible ice storm right and then she was found and she and they kept her on ice somehow and then they started feeding memories into her of like (laughs) oh like you know john smith didn't rape you when you were a teenager or preteen girl he actually was your was your husband and then all of a sudden uh you know, she wakes up and she realizes the truth and, and she's like, what? Fuck this. Right. Or you the know? original then, John Smith did rape her and then killed her second John Smith husband, if we want to go by Disney lore. And now she's out to hunt his family down. I like it. Let's let's do it. All right. Um, I'll call Disney. <laughs> yeah, call him up. Call him up. See, see, see what we can get for this. Um, but uh, yeah, so she ends up... Uh, that that might that might stay in. It might not. That's fine. Um, 
But yeah, so she she ends up kind of telling uh you know telling the story about a story that Arnold told her, and it was uh it was it was this really uh, riveting tale about how a couple of Jesuit priests were on the reservation, and um you know speaking of which. Uh, they do mention communion. They do have American uh, United States flags on the reservation. Like they are very much assimilated, and a lot of them probably are somewhat uh, religious as far as Christianity is concerned. Uh, but yeah, so so he's the him, Arnold and Victor. Victor's a kid at this point. Are playing these two fully grown adult Jesuit priests in basketball. Basketball is a huge part of the Joseph household, and it's Victor's yes. Victor's best uh, best quality. He's a true athlete. Um, and uh, and they're they're playing, and he tells this amazing story about how Victor made the game-winning shot, and and he was like the toughest, the toughest kid, and stood up to these priests. I and, love this whole scene, like the way it's shot, oh, so dramatic. So There's nobody else there but Arnold, right? And he's just like running around, like throwing the basketball, like telling the stories. Very animated. You can tell like how important this story is to him. How and like he's really building his son up, and and like you can feel the love in the story. You know, this is like the first time he really shows that. That love for his son, uh, I think, to us, the audience, at least. I think he showed it to everyone else but his son, which yeah. kind of, you know, which kind of sucked. Like it's the whole like, oh, you know, I told this person about how much, uh, you know, how much you mean to me, and it's like, well, why don't you just tell me? Yes. Like, yep. Um, you know, and it, and it really was was this beautiful moment, and in that, I started thinking. This is my own head canon, that Thomas's whole storytelling routine it doesn't just come from the propaganda he's consumed it comes from arnold i think part of it comes from arnold and i think that that that's a good part of arnold that is always present in in thomas and whether or not victor likes it there's a part of his father the good part of his father that's always there with him i agree with that yeah They, they did say arnold was a storyteller and i think that that is uh it's beautiful in a way, you know, it's, it's, it, that's there. And, and, you know, Victor may not have taken that aspect, but, but Thomas did. Now, uh, we kind of passed it a bit, but, uh, they, they, cause they brought up Custer very quickly. They, they, and they brought up Custer another time in, they did. Uh, along with Columbus and Truman as well. Um, I haven't gotten to the part in people's history where Truman fucks over the natives. So I'll let you know when that happens. Custer's last stand was, I believe, at the Battle of Little Bighorn, and there was this uh, this this song that uh, that was played. Did you see this in the IMDb notes as well? I, I sure did. So the song is called "All My Relations." It's performed by Ulali at the end of the film, and it uses tradition the traditional Irish tune uh, Gary Owen, which is either Gary Owen or Gary Owen. I can't say for sure, <laughs> uh, but um. But yeah, the the Seventh Cavalry Regiment in 1867. Uh, that was the last song they heard before they were before they were killed at Little Bighorn. Which is interesting because I I feel like growing up you're almost kind of taught he, how heroic uh, Custer is, right? Oh yeah, like, yeah. Custer's exactly last stand and like you know yep. he he's surrounded by savages and he you know he fought to the end. But like really he was the villain. So uh, <laughs> you know it's 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 kind of interesting that that's what we're taught uh you know whitewashing history there and also i i want to talk about arnold leaving because it comes back a little later on you know when he finally decides that that he's that he's going to run away from from his family and part of part of it i think is running away from his problems i think the other part is he just doesn't think he's strong enough to defeat his own demons right so he he aims to protect his family and he's you know he's running he he gets in his car uh sorry he gets in his truck he's driving away uh, Victor hops in the bed and, you know, he takes him out, gives him one last hug and drives away again. And, and, and Victor is just running on the side of the road and he's just running and running and running. And yeah. he, you know, trying to get to his father who he's never able to get to. And that comes back up a little later. And I thought that that was a really great, uh, great moment as well. Yeah. As much as he resented him, he didn't want him to go. And, and that's sad. You know, he even told him, he's like, don't go dad, you know, and, and he still left. And I think, that's what Victor remembers, you know. He asked his father to stay, and he and he still left him. And I'd also like to talk about Arnold's hair because at the beginning of the movie, he has incredibly long hair. It's almost down to his waist, I think. It's probably it's at least down to his belly button. Yeah. And um, and after Thomas's parents die, as well at the beginning, we're told it's kind of like a way of him mourning. But I think it is also him guilting himself now that he knows he started the fire and. And uh, him deeming himself no longer worthy of his long hair, but uh, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. According to uh, 
a blog on uh, thelonghairs.us, the long hair has symbolic significance tying natives to Mother Earth, uh, whose hair is long in grasses. Many Native Americans believe their hair is a physical manifestation of the growth of the spirit, and some say it allows for extrasensory perception and connection to all things. Uh, See Avatar for (laughs) for not-so-subtle references to that as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the rest of the movie we see, uh, we see Arnold Joseph with short hair. He took off his, his own and, um, and we also see later on, and this, this was kind of rough for me to watch because Victor has these beautiful long locks of hair, uh, jet black, straight hair. He really does have beautiful, amazing hair and he ends up cutting it as well. Yeah. Why do you think he did that? Uh, I think it was finally when he kind of started to come to terms with who his father was, and uh, you know, I, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot, lot to it. You know, he's obviously holding a lot of anger, and and I think he's much like his father. He's trying to like let go of this story and move on. Um, you know, I, 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 was this before or after he goes in the trailer? This was just after he goes into the trailer. He's looking through his father's things. He finds his father's wallet with a picture of the family in right. it. And he finds he's sitting on the bed his father died in. And uh, and he also finds uh, the pocket knife that belonged to his father. Um, does he does he take his father's boots as well? Or was he wearing the boots the entire story, the entire movie? Mm, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, sure. yeah. That, that I, I don't remember. The only thing I know is because at the very end of the movie, we see that he has these really nice boots. And um, I'm wondering if he ran in them for the moment that's about to happen. Oh, that's interesting. Speaking as somebody who has a very simple relationship with my father and that I can't fucking stand him, uh, I try to do my best to be not like him in every every way possible. If I wake up too late, I, I feel bad because it's something he would do. If I have my hair a certain way or or I, or I look a certain way or I'm gaining weight and I, you know all of these things look like him, if I'm making a, a certain facial expression that I know he made, I, I want nothing to do with it. So I was very surprised to see to see Victor Joseph cut his hair off this way. Um, you know, I, I, but we, we do, we do see a reckoning in a, in a little bit. He ends up taking his, uh, taking his father's truck and his ashes and, uh, you know, they're driving, by the way, the whole movie, nobody's driving with seatbelts on. That's the one thing I can't stand about this movie is that nobody's (laughs) driving with seatbelts on. And, uh, you know, it, it might be kind of a, you know, maybe there's a message there saying that like, listen, you know, the, with everything that's been done to their people, they've been living on borrowed time as it is. So, yes. You uh, know, so whatever. It does look like he's wearing boots the whole movie, and he definitely runs in them. Thank you for, for checking in on that. You're I appreciate You're it. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> Phones, uh, am I right? yeah. Oh, also, there, there is a great moment in the bus trip earlier where uh, they get back to the bus after Thomas has made his very temporary transformation into an authentic native, yes. uh, modern Native American <laughs> man. Uh, and uh, and these two white guys have taken over their seats and they can't get the seats back short of starting a physical altercation. So they end up just leaving. And, and sitting um, on a different seat. Yeah, because no one's going to stand yeah. up for them. You know, they're, they're no. the odd men out here. Um, yeah. and Maybe that gymnast cowboys. would have stuck up for them if fucking Victor wasn't, Victor an, was asshole. wasn't an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and he wasn't like, wrong, sh- but he he definitely wasn't no. an asshole. No, he he wasn't wrong. Did, did you also um, catch the uh, when the two girls are driving them, and they say, "Did you bring your passports?" And uh, they're like, "Passports? What do you mean?" And they're like, "We're going to the, you know to the USA." And and she's like, "Yeah, that's as foreign as it gets." Hope you got your. Uh, <laughs> uh, your you know inoculations your uh, you know it, i thought that oh, was an interesting an interesting joke i do remember them mentioning that the the uh, did they say something about uh vaccinations they or did. inoculations yeah. yep oh that's oh that's perfect then because for those of you who aren't aware as i wasn't aware until very recently uh the whole smallpox thing on a blanket that that wiped out uh so many native uh peoples that was actually done on purpose that's biological warfare i thought it was done on accident but it turns out it, it was not um, and uh, a lot of the Montauk people of Montauk, Long Island, 
Ooh. were also affected by that. But that, that I think, is a different story. I want to learn a lot more about the native tribes of Long Island before I start speaking to their history. That's fair. Uh, but there, there, there's a lot. As anybody, if you're not listening, I know we have a couple UK listeners and uh, you know a couple listeners over on the West Coast, but you, uh, you'll see that there are so many towns on Long Island and so many counties that are named after native tribes. Yeah, so many. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Even Smithtown, which is named after a, a white man, was named because he was uh, allegedly given a bull to ride uh, in one day by 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 a native chief, and everything he he crossed became Smithtown in that oh, day. Oh, interesting! Um, I did not know that. Yeah. But that's what they say according to the literal bull statue uh, in Smithtown. I'm sure that the actual history is- I've learned not to trust that bull. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever trust that bull, <laughs> damn it. Uh, but but yeah, so obviously, you know, they get their, their, their seats taken from them by the white men, which was a very obvious nod to actual U.S. history. Um but yeah, we have this moment where uh, they're driving in the pickup truck back. They're getting uh, Thomas and Victor are getting into this verbal altercation. Uh, the Denny story, I think, t- just fucking tips him over the edge, man. <laughs> yeah, and because uh, he tells the Denny story twice about the time that his fa- about Arnold Joseph talking taking Thomas out to get breakfast, you know, um, and and not his own son. I think actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, a big part of that was just because he felt guilty that he he took away Thomas's parents. So that's probably why he was oh, of course. nice. That's exactly why. You know, he, he knew that he was responsible for that. So, you know, he always felt like he had to go the extra step for him. And they're getting into this altercation and they end up coming upon this car crash. And they end up having to go off the road and crashing their own car. Yeah. And, and this is after they, they, they left Susie without saying goodbye, right? They just left in the morning. Oh, yeah. Took I off. forgot they the didn't Irish even, exited Susie. They never, yeah, they never even said anything to her. And uh, I don't think they ever see her again, honestly. That's it. You know, they just take off and, and uh, Victor's had enough. No, but uh, hopefully one day they can contact her using the colors of the wind. She <laughs> was Pocahontas, guys. She oh was boy. Pocahontas. It's like saying you contact Thor with the Bifrost. Yeah, okay. Same thing. Totally the same <laughs> thing. Is it not the same thing? I'm <laughs> about to get, I'm, I'm going to take a trip to Cancelvania. Um, <laughs> I would go Bifrost for Thor. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> so they end up uh, but yeah, so they end up in this in this uh, in this car wreck which uh, turns out it was caused by by a white guy and his wife. I had to make sure that I that I mentioned he's white cuz most of the people in this movie are native and uh, which is fucking awesome. And he was yes. actually drunk driving. He hit he hit a car uh, uh, crashed it off the road, and when Thomas and Victor decide to get involved and start trying to help, uh, the the guy who caused the crash is, is saying it was their fault that that they hit his car, and and he's trying to start a physical fight with Victor, and his wife is just like, oh my god, I can't believe I fucking married this guy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know, basically, you're she's, drunk, you caused it, and like, and uh, and you know, at this point, there's really no access to cell phones in '98 like there like there is now, and even then, they were in such a remote area. And uh, Victor decides he's going to run. He's gonna he's gonna go on foot to get help. And they're like, the you know nearest hospital is twenty miles from now. What are you doing? And he you know he runs. And I think that this is reminiscent of his own spirit quest. If if you know if I can be so bold as to say that, uh, because he ends up you know he's running running for miles. I don't know how they don't say how long he ran for, but he ran for a very long time in some fucking slick boots you know that's how you could follow the the path back to the crash just follow the drip because he was dripping in swag um <laughs> and running in these boots and uh and until nice. he can't anymore until he collapses he almost fucking kills himself running and the the man who picks him up in his head is his father and right. it's not a memory he's ever had of his own father it's a memory he had from thomas telling a story about his father um, which is really, which is really beautiful. That's, you know, I think that's kind of the culmination of his, his quest is, you know, he, you know, he learns that, I don't know, fathers are there to, to, to pick you up in, in one way or another, whether they're here or not. And whether his father actually did in in real life or not, I think his own growth comes through. I don't, I don't want to say being able to necessarily forgive his father, uh, but just to come to terms with what happened and, you know, knowing that, all right, listen, you can choose to let it 
you know, make you or break you at this point. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, of course, the person who actually picks them up is some dude working on the roadside. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they, you know, luckily everyone's able to get to a hospital. The woman who was in the car crash is better. Uh, she, she's alive. She's not doing great. Is she like in a full body cast when they get to the hospital or something? Yeah, I mean, she was dying. Like, and this is before cell phones. Like, the drunk guy was even like, that's a dead woman you're talking to. He was a real piece of shit. Uh, he, he, was, he really was. He's like, she's dead. You know, don't even bother. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, man. Yeah, they they made they made absolute sure to to express how much of an asshole this guy was to the point that uh, the guys find out Victor and Thomas find out that the police report submitted involves them being blamed. And even though the woman whose mother was in the car crash said no, these two you know uh, helped us, uh, she says that they're probably not going to take her word over it. You know, compared to this guy, and I think you, they kind of make it look like this guy between what he and his wife are wearing, the car they're driving, right. they're both wealthy yep. white yep. people. Like they're both well off. They're to you know well to do. They have a lot of pull. Um, yeah. So she's like, well get out of here. You know, <laughs> like you, yeah, like, yeah. Right, she's like, go. you better go. And he's like, all right, cool, let's go. Uh, but they do end up uh, going going to the police station. I think it's to get uh, Arnold Joseph's ashes, right? Well, they they go back to the room to get their stuff, and the two cops are waiting for them. Okay, so that's how they end up and there. Check my just, phone for a yeah, sec. They, uh, yeah, and they they bring him over to the to I guess the sheriff or the police chief or whoever he is. Um, and it's a very interesting interaction. Like he calls them engines. Like he asks what type of engines they are. So like he just like is very openly racist. Yeah, because like it's it's such a tough thing too because because engine isn't as bad as like redskin right. Yeah. But engine is still, I think it's a very commonly used and it's kind of okay for for them to use it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I personally don't think it's okay, but it's it's more of like the soft racism. You know, it's it's close to calling them Indians, which even then is still racist. Accurate. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, you know, it's so bad. It's to the point that they call themselves that. And, you know, let's go to back to the argument of, well, if they say it, can I say it? No. Fucking take a little bit of extra time and just say native or say indigenous. Yeah. You know, I don't even say Native American because this continent wasn't called that before right, it was like right. named. So, yep. uh, but yeah, uh, despite his um, his inherent uh, bigotry or, or, or uh, you know, bias, he, he does end up kind of giving them a break. And thanks to the white lady tears of Mrs. Cicero, the wife of the man who was drunk driving. Uh, because they, they're ready to take his word. It doesn't seem like they want to take the word of the other woman involved in the crash. But, you know, Mrs. Cicero, the wife of the drunk driver, says, oh, my husband's an asshole. And they kind of accept that. And uh, I think also he sees when he's looking at the coffee can and, um, you know, Victor goes, that's my father. That's his ashes. He kind of takes his hand off and he's like, oh, shit. Like, this is, you know, maybe not the best time to be pressing these guys. They've been through a lot. Right. Yep. Exactly. And it was it was nice for him to kind of just see them as two fellow men, two fellow humans, instead of you know I'm the white man, they're the quote unquote engines, or whatever. Um, and I think that was great for Mrs. Cicero to kind of you know not side with her husband because we have talked in previous episodes about the dangers of white lady tears, uh, but she uses her privilege to be an ally and help and help these guys. Um, and uh, and you know at the end of it when they finally get back home. Uh, Actually, I want to talk real quick about the basketball because Victor leaves the basketball behind, which is, which is wild. He loves basketball; it's yeah. his favorite thing. I think maybe it's because it reminds him of playing with his father that that was like his connection. Yeah, to he him. held on to it. Yeah, uh, but he does find out that his father used to say that Victor was the best at basketball. He probably wouldn't be better at anything else. Yeah, and that combined with Thomas telling this dude that he kind of needs to get his life together and shit, uh, you know, reminds me kind of of Goodwill Hunting. You know, which actually would have been a much more appropriate name for a native movie than a movie about a couple guys from Boston. But, um, you know, he, uh, you know, he kind of Victor starts thinking to himself about the kind of man he wants to be, the kind of person he wants to be. Is he going to just play baseball and lounge around all the time or, you know, and he doesn't even have alcohol as an excuse like his father did. You know, he is he just doesn't really seem to be motivated to do anything. Uh, Hashtag mood um <laughs> same um but yeah he leaves the basketball behind and he also 
apologizes to Thomas. And he says, like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry for getting us in that wreck. And he says, the wreck wasn't your fault. And he's like, I'm sorry for all of the wrecks. And, you know, he finally, I think, is able to see that while his father may not have ever apologized for his own misdoings and while he uh, while he ran away from from his problems and and decided to become a better person elsewhere, Victor decides he's going to become a better person at home where he can really make a difference. At least that that's my interpretation. Yeah, I also like that when they get back, Thomas asks him, did you ever find out like why your father left? And uh, Victor says he didn't mean to, Thomas. He didn't mean to. And, and I, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> he, you know, he means that in multiple ways. You know, he didn't, he didn't mean to kill Thomas's parents. Uh, he didn't mean to be a bad father. He didn't mean to to leave, but but he did. Um, and yeah, and I think they're they're finally coming to terms with that, you know. And I I think uh, they're ready to kind of move on and and heal from from all of this. And speaking of healing, um, you know, obviously there's the moment where Victor gives half of uh, Arnold's ashes to Thomas, uh, which which was great because. You know, he kind of was a father, once again, not the best father figure to anybody on the reservation, I'm sure. But he he was a, a father to Thomas in his own way. And from what we hear, you know, a bit of a better father to Thomas than he was to Victor. Or maybe it's just like you said, Thomas is the one who always sees the good in people. So while sure lots of bad things have happened, he only remembers the good ones. And, you know, we should all be so lucky, yeah. right? Yep. You know, to just remember the great things about people. And, and you know, now that I'm thinking about it, like, a lot of things always go... Anything that I have to do with fathers is always going to go back to my own shit, and it's going to go back to the Lord of the Rings episode where we talked extensively about it. But, um, <laughs> you know, that was that was kind of my, my mom's whole thing, too, is, uh, you know, for, for all of the all of the bad that he brought into her life, getting her addicted to a bunch of drugs and mooching off of her, her disability and welfare money and, and money because she was, uh, you know, she is a paranoid schizophrenic. She was disabled. She couldn't work. She only, she only remembered the good things about him. Yeah. You know, she had n- nothing but, but excitement in her eyes when, when he walked into the room and, uh, you know, it was very much the opposite for me. I was the victor and, uh, you know, so I I've related a lot more with this character than I, you know, than I thought I would, and uh, I am glad that Victor kind of did become the focal point of the story because it starts off through Thomas's eyes and through Thomas's voiceover. Yes. Yeah, and um, whereas you know that would have been nice. I've seen the Community episodes that are all about Abed. You know, I'm good for this. Uh, I can I can just I can just you know see a story about Victor you know who is who is very much a toxic male just like his father was and him him learning to accept responsibility for his own actions and at the very end when he he goes to Spokane uh, just just where uh, where Thomas used to go and and he lets the ashes out in that running river and he just fucking yells man he's yelling triumphantly. Yeah. Um, and, and it was so emotional. It was so effective. I love that moment. It was, I mean, this is, this was Victor's journey. You know, I don't think Thomas had the same resentments or angers that, that Victor did. So, you know, uh, he was a part of Victor's journey in helping him. Do you, do you, I, you think know what? he was his guide? He was. And you know, <laughs> right? he, he has that final narration, you know, he's, he's the storyteller talking oh, about forgiving fathers and you know, what's left when you do. And you know, it, it's, uh, it's very powerful. Um, and I have a question for you. Do you think Thomas knew that Arnold was the one that killed his parents? I I can't answer that for sure. Because the, um, the grandmother I, actually says to him when he gets back, tell me what's going to happen. And he closes his eyes. Like, did he actually know a lot of things? Is he supposed to be like the spiritual guide that, that you know, that sees sees what's happened and sees what's going to happen? Is Is that like part of, I don't know, it was thrown in at the very end, but. Well, that's this, I mean, that's this beautiful moment, uh, you know, and it's, you know, kind of makes you think maybe Thomas is the most authentic Indian because he, he had stuck to that tradition. And yeah, his grandma says, tell me what happened and then says what's going to happen. And he kind of just has this introspective moment. And, and that's when his, his, his narration starts the voiceover at the end, the whole monologue, which, uh, you know, look it up your, you know what, I'll, I'll find it and I'll put it in, um, I'll, I'll find a YouTube link and 
and but I can't say for sure that that he did know. I don't. I wouldn't doubt it. Like if if let's say this movie is kind of going that supernatural route. I know it's I know it's technically not supernatural, but that's for lack of a better term. That's all I can. You know, let's say the spiritual route, right? Then yeah, I I could see Thomas knowing full well everything because he is so connected to everybody and he's so connected to love, and and that's why he is privy to to things that nobody else is privy to because really that journey gets underway because of Thomas. Thomas actually wants to help Victor with money and uh, you know and he is he's the Samwise Gamgee of the, yeah, of the crew. Yeah. And uh, but also I. Yeah, I you know, I'm very sure it could have gotten thrown around there. It's a small reservation. I mean, it's a big reservation, but everybody knows everybody. I'm sure people talk, and I'm sure it's it's come about. You know, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that that it's come about. And Thomas, you know, knew that, and then and he chose to see the good in the Joseph family as opposed to all of the bad things they were responsible for in his life. Uh, but there is another part of me that says, no, he doesn't fucking know. He's you know very into his own stuff and uh, isn't good at reading other people and. You know, I'm sure that he didn't mean to means a very different thing to him than it than it meant to 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 Victor. Yeah. You know, who now has to carry the sins of his father. You know, he has to know that that his father and also who's to say that nobody else that anybody else on the reservation knows? I mean Susie Song knows, but does the rest of the Cordelaine tribe know? They might not. They might not. I mean Arnold was the only one supposedly awake at the house when it happened, you know? But did he tell anyone else? Who knows? Who yeah. knows? Who knows? But yeah, sorry, I can't give a more definite answer there. I, I would like either. I would like either ending. But I do just want to talk about the end of his monologue where he says, if we forgive our fathers, what is left? And I know that that really stuck with me because I think like, you know, for Victor, his whole story was about forgiving his father and becoming his own man once he was able to let that go. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that that their family is kind of the drive for them becoming who they are, being who they who they want to be. And, uh, you know what, I'll think of uh, I'll, I'll quote something that my aunt once said to me. We were at this place in Queens called Veggie Castle 2. Serves an amazing vegan buffet, Ty. It's so fucking What is it called? Veggie Castle 2. Where is that? In Queens. Oh, oh, cat. Oh, Queens. Oh. So we're talking and I'm talking about like where I want to move and I'm like I'm like listen, I don't want to die in New York like, you know, I don't I don't want to die where I grew up like I I don't I don't want to be that person. And she told me she said think of where you want to be, not where you don't want to be. Because Saying I don't want to is just negative in its in its mm-hmm. very core, right? The sheer linguistics of it require it to be a negative statement. But, you know, I think we have to choose, and obviously you know that I take trauma very seriously. I do think to a point we have to choose a path for ourselves that's less I don't want to be this person and talk about who you want to be. Yeah. And, um, Agreed. you know, that's... yeah. Uh, Good, good, good. <laughs> you know, but that that's something I've been coming to terms with myself. And um <clears throat> and I think also just on a professional level, we went to visit uh my wife's godkids on Halloween and just drop off a couple bags of candy for them. And, you know, the one the girl, she must be eleven, twelve years old by now, and you know, she was talking about what she wants to be when she grows up. And oh, I wanna be this, I wanna do that, I wanna be a doctor, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I listened to an episode of Daily Zeitgeist the other day. I still do from time to time. And, you know, they were talking about how, like, how ridiculous it is just and lazy it is to just ask a kid when you first see them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because all that is, is that's a profession, right? We say, what kind of employment do you want? Yeah. But we never we never ask anybody who they want to be when they grow up. You know, if I end up being an unemployed house husband for the rest of my life, but my wife and I are happy and my dog (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is also happy with us. <laughs> but society doesn't care about that. No, society doesn't. That's why no, they, they make an 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid decide to take out, you know, $200,000 in student loans so they can go get the career that they have decided they want. And then, you know, 2 years in they realize, fuck, this isn't really what I want with my life, but now I've I have to spend my money to to pay for this education that I've 
partially gotten for something that I don't want to do. You know, it's, <laughs> yep. it's a, uh, it's tough. It's tough. They don't, like yeah. you said, they don't ask you who you want to be. They ask you what, what you want to be. And, uh, you know, how do you really know growing up? You know, I wanted to be Spider-Man, but that didn't pan out. So, you know, I'm putting that on my to-do list for 2021, <laughs> 20, 2019, help Tyler make a movie. 2020, help Tyler make a podcast. Luckily, I already had one. 2021, <laughs> Tyler is Spider-Man. You just make my dreams come true. Oh, man. I'm gonna, that's, that's all I can do. That's, I'm your Thomas to your Victor, bro. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. <laughs> oh, God, no. No. <laughs> uh, Would you shut up, Thomas? And uh, by the way, Thomas is a fucking hunk. You check out his IMDb. <laughs> Uh, or even when he just like let his hair down in the movie and took off his glasses, it was like she's all that. They could have done she's all that. <laughs> he's all they that the Native American version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a fucking hunk. But they really made a point in the movie to kind of like make him that kind of like high pitched. So word, kiss you know? me. Yeah. Right. They could, do, like, they could do like they could do like a whole like Native version oh my of that God. song. Beneath the silver star sparkling. Um, okay, that's all I'll do. Before yeah, that, yeah, and the colors of the wind thing get me fucking destroyed. <laughs> Luckily, we only have five fucking listeners. Yeah. And all five of them turn out to be Native Americans, so great job. You know, in the last episode, I did drop the N-bomb with a hard R. You did. So, I was really, like, I was shocked. I'm, and, uh, I might. <laughs> I mean, I was quoting a you movie. Did. You, said I'm gonna, you did warn people. I did, give a, I did give a trigger warning. and I mean, you, yeah. I was mostly saying it for the listeners, yeah. but... Um, Maybe maybe I'm becoming like Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Fucker Carlson. As, the, as we get more as we get more listeners, I start becoming like a terrible right wing. Yeah, I was thinking about that. We became the very thing that we hate, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, if you can't beat him, join him, right? Right. But yeah, any any closing uh, closing thoughts on this film, Ty? Uh, no, I just think it's uh, you know, like we said earlier, it's a feel good movie. You know, it's very '90s. Um, I, I think it should be recognized as, as being such a uh, you know integral part for Native Americans to have a a role in creating the film, not just being the subject of it. And uh, you know, if you're looking for for something to 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 watch this month, watch Smoke Signals because it's really great. It's an hour and a half of your time, and it goes by so quickly. I think the pacing is the pacing is pretty good. I think. Yeah, I uh, think so. You know, if, if I remember correctly, you did say it's it's a weird movie, but I think the weirdness. Uh, you, I don't think you meant weird, but it is like it got me thinking about it. Is it a weird movie? Like, there's something about it that is a little different. Yes, and I think it's just because of how genuine it is as an indie film in the '90s. Like, it's not yeah. as pretty as we're used to. I think that's that's it too. You know, I, I, not all of the actors come off as like the most uh, experienced actors, things like that. You know, but at the same time, it's a very successful film. So usually, I feel like when those things happen, you get like a really uh, like a rough film, you know, but this, this doesn't feel rough to me. It just, it just has an interesting feel to it. And, uh, I liked it. It was different. It wasn't, you know, this big blockbuster. I, I enjoyed it. And on that note, I'm going to remind everybody to please, uh, go to iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Uh, obviously listen to us. That's how you hear our voices, but also <laughs> rate and review us when you get the chance. You can find our, our channel on YouTube where you can, uh, like, and subscribe, uh, to our page, like our videos, uh, subscribe to the page, hit the alert button. That way you get an update every time we, we release a new episode. And on the YouTube channel specifically is where you will find all of our outtakes. In addition to that uh, that exclusive content, we have a lot of exclusive content we're actually going to be putting on our Patreon. I'm not going to talk about that in this episode. I think we'll cover it in housekeeping this week. So just keep that in mind if you listen to that episode. We'll have uh, kind of a quick rundown of our potential tiers and benefits. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod, Instagram at PolitipopPodcast, email us at PolitipopCast at gmail.com. Always find our show notes and sources at PolitipopCast.wordpress.com. Special thanks to you listeners and always to Antonia Chava for logo design. For the Politipop Podcast, I've been Mike Booch. I've been Ty. And remember, no matter what you're watching this month, no matter what you're eating during fucking Thanksgiving, <sighs> or Indigenous Peoples Remembrance Day, whatever whatever you want to call it, um, no matter what you're listening to, no matter what you're reading, whatever it is, never stop thinking, never stop learning. Please fucking take care of yourselves. We didn't talk about the election at all, but we will in the housekeeping this week. And uh, always remember to just read between the lines. And scene. There we go. That was good.